Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Hello, and welcome to Great Women in Compliance on the Compliance Podcast Network. I'm Lisa Fine, and today I'm so pleased to speak with Rebecca Hughes-Parker. She's the Global Editor-in-Chief at Anti-Corruption Report and the Cybersecurity Law Report. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here, and we are really excited to speak with you. I was so pleased to meet you two weeks ago at Atmosphere and to get your viewpoints there. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. And I was so glad to have met you and to connect with you and to talk, of course, about ethics and compliance, (laughs) great topics. Um, And as you said, I run the Cybersecurity Law Report and the Anti-Corruption Report, which are two uh, legal publications that analyze the law for pretty much a sophisticated audience. So obviously, events like Ethisphere are right in our wheelhouse. And how did you get to the Anti-Corruption Report and Cybersecurity Law Report? I know that you had started and had changed your career path a little bit. And tell us a little bit about that. Sure. I actually started my career um, in television news because news and politics also were passions of mine. But I think after a certain point, I uh, decided to do some more schooling, going back to law school. And I I really did enjoy law school. And coming out of law school, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I had worked at MSNBC during law school, so I certainly had an interest in the news. But ultimately, I wanted to try my hand at practicing and litigating. So that's what I did. I went to a big firm and became a litigator um, in Manhattan. And yeah, I had done something similar. And it's always interesting to hear where, you know, how to go from there to where you are. And when we talked the first time, you spoke a bit about your experience as a litigator was allowing you to see what went wrong as opposed to taking a more proactive approach to compliance. How did you see that and what do you see significant in that? Yeah, I think, I mean, I'll, I did take a little bit of a non-traditional route, perhaps. I spent eight years um, at litigating at the same firm, and I was actually approached by a friend from high school, actually, to start this publication, which at the time we called the FCPA Report. He had seen some writing I had done and thought I might be interested in helping him launch a publication similar to one he had already launched called the Hedge Fund Law Report. And he wanted to launch another one that that was digging really deep into compliance issues, sort of expertise-based journalism, but this one for the anti-bribery fields that would give sort of business focus, guidance, sophisticated legal analysis. So it took a little convincing for me to leave the law firm. <laughs> I felt I felt like I had survived a lot there. I had twins in my first year as a lawyer, actually, and a third child six years later. And I really got the chance to be on some great cases there with some really, really talented lawyers who taught me a lot. But this opportunity was one that I just couldn't pass up. I love to write. And so ultimately, that's what I did. I We started what was called the FCPA report. So I left the law firm. I will say that my older two children were a little upset when I left litigation because the job I had now was much harder to explain. So it wasn't as simple. So, but I do remember about two years ago, my youngest daughter was in kindergarten at a Mother's Day event and she stood up to talk about her mother. And she said, my mother's job is to tell people how to follow the rules. So so I guess you can explain it that way, perhaps that I tell people how to follow the rules. That makes a lot of sense. Well, it's interesting that you say that too, because one of the other things is you know, talking about following the rules, but also seeing different sides of issues. And both in terms of litigation and now in terms of writing or different types of projects you do, you know, where do you see that and how do you see that as working both within your publication and compliance generally? 
Well, yeah, I think you did mention before being proactive. I think that was something I noticed early on that in this job, actually practicing that without a client and a particular set of facts to focus on, to advocate for that client, I could really step back and examine the law and compliance approaches from all angles and then communicate it to people in a way that was both clear, but also complex and sophisticated given our readership. So it's not that you don't know the law well as a litigator, you certainly have to, but you know, this job now allows me to talk to so many different kinds of in-house counsel, outside counsel, consultants, all sorts of people from various industries and learn from them and really think about what's happening on a large scale as well as a small scale. I mean, that's a little different, I think. You know, our team gets to learn about all sorts of these approaches um, and all these back patterns and what went wrong for companies and what went right. And we get to dive deep into all the new policies, which you probably know there've been a lot recently at the DOJ for the white collar space. And of course, new regulations, which are proliferating, I would say, in the um, data privacy space and cybersecurity space as well. Right. I mean, I think, I mean, there always is a difference when you're actually being an advocate for a particular side of an issue. You're learning the strengths and weaknesses of what, you know, what you're trying to do, but you're also looking from, you know, a certain angle, which is not a good or bad thing, but it's very different when you're looking at it as a little bit more of an objective side of it without having that same sort of specific back pattern. It sounds like that's sort of the, the step that you were taking. Yeah, I think that's it. You do. You step back and you're not as focused on your client because there aren't one. But, you know, you just get a bigger picture as well as the details, because like I said, our publication does, you know, delve into a lot of the details. You know, in this job, I think as well came with a lot of, you know, managerial and business aspects that are a little different than a law firm, you know, budgeting decisions, strategy decisions that we had to make. And I had to, you know, learn how to handle that that dimension as well. That that was a little different than a law firm, I think. And talk a little bit about the growth of it. You mentioned that it was started as the SCPA report. And then today you've got anti-corruption report, cybersecurity, you know, the growth in both of the publications and sort of how that played out a little bit. Because that, you know, it must have been a big deal throughout. Yes, we have grown so much from our small beginnings. We started out as the FCPA report because that was such a big focus in 2012. And there was a lot to write about, a lot to analyze and 2015, we were able to, we had grown enough to launch a new publication, the Cybersecurity Law Report, which is about cybersecurity and also data privacy, which is another super hot topic that I got to really dive into, which has been really great. And a little after that, the FCP report had grown so much that we really had to change the name to the anti-corruption report because we really had stories from everywhere around the world. We have sources all over the world. We accept guest articles and they were coming in from all sorts of places globally. So you know, to really give a view of enforcement there, the compliance practices there on the ground. And as you know, there's been so much more enforcement of anti-corruption laws around the world in the past few years. So we were able to grow as that grew and we changed our name and grew as a team as well. And the team's amazing. Of course, I think that's probably the the secret to the superb content is a great team uh, run by women on both products. The senior positions are all filled by women, happens to be, which is other great women in compliance for sure, on both the anti-corruption report and the cybersecurity law report. One thing that I've seen a lot as we started the podcast and talking to you and others is really no great woman in compliance stands alone. And there are great women and men, but there are so many great teams of women, and you've already mentioned that about yours. The other thing I think about that or about those the two publications is you know, what do you all see as the biggest trends and issues coming from a substance standpoint? 
Sure. I think going back to we mentioned um, meeting at Atmosphere, one thing that came out of that and that we've been seeing for quite a while is this increasing focus from when we started on ethics and values-based compliance and moving a little bit away from rules-based compliance. I think seven years ago, there was less of an emphasis on that. And I think that's because compliance programs have matured in so many ways. And so they've gone from sort of building the basic building blocks of compliance to actually having holistic programs that are really embedding ethical culture in, you know, into the company. I don't think we saw that as much when we started. So that's certainly a theme that we see. And that could be in part because of the increased enforcement and more awareness on the cyber side of cybersecurity issues. We've heard from so many compliance officers about all these innovative things that they're doing. You and I have talked about that before, and I certainly talked to a lot of people about at Ethisphere about the way that they're embedding compliance into their culture and all these fun things that they're doing and the different ways they're communicating with people. I think in the past two years, we've heard that so much more than we did at the beginning. You know, a lot of companies are enhancing their codes of conduct, for example. My colleague, Nicole DeChino, has written extensively about that recently. We've seen different approaches to training. You probably heard of microburst learning, which was something thing we've been hearing a lot about. I've written about using behavioral approaches like nudge theory in your compliance program. And this is all stuff that I think is a theme we're seeing more and more than we saw at the beginning. I think also a related, but moving over a little more into the cybersecurity and data privacy space, I have to mention sort of our tech meets legal feature because that remains really popular. <laughs> In that field, we see a gap between where lawyers are and technologists are, and they really sometimes have a hard time working together. <laughs> so um, <laughs> you got it, right? You know, we all have a hard time with technology sometimes. But <laughs> you know, my colleague Jill Abbottball in that publication has interviewed the compliance, the privacy team at Uber about how they built their privacy tool, how they worked with engineers. There just often needs to be a bridge that needs to be crossed there so that they're speaking the same language, that the technologists and lawyers understand where each other's coming from, because sometimes their objectives are different and the view is different, which I think is probably true for a lot of fields. But that's something that I think in that space we've seen be a theme that people really appreciate learning about how to actually interact with that aspect of it. Because obviously, if there's a breach, you're going to have to deal with some kind of forensic investigation and technology aspects, as well as regulatory issues. Yeah, absolutely. And in full disclosure, for those listening today, it was a relief to be speaking with somebody who does a lot of interviews and part of the media because this lawyer had a lot of technology issues today. <laughs> and it's an area, as many would say, of opportunity. So I have to say a double personal thank you for that. So none of us are immune. But I do think generally, I think that one theme that kind of goes through both of the things you were just talking about is sort of the change in basically technology and how it impacts people's thinking and learning processes, whether it's code of conduct or microburst, you know, how do you do that now to both work with technology and also, you know, protect private data and breaches and do that in a way so that lawyers and compliance officers are speaking to employees or technology people. I think that that seems like a lot of the things that you all are writing about somewhere come into some of that because it impacts so many parts of the yeah. I mean, I would certainly say some of it is driven by regulations. I mean, obviously, a big topic for us is the GDPR, as well as the new California law, the California Consumer Privacy Act, which is coming into effect next year. Um, that certainly has the attention of many, many compliance people. There's still amendments being made to the CCPA, but if you haven't complied with the GDPR, there's a lot of companies now who are looking at having to comply with the privacy regulation with the CCPA. And I also think there's some increasing privacy expectations from consumers as well that companies have to deal with. So we've certainly written about that and some of the early enforcement actions of the GDPR to try to see you know, what's going on in Europe and how they're actually going to enforce it. And we've obviously written a lot about how to prepare for the CCPA, especially 
especially if you haven't prepared for the GDPR. There's definitely two right. big and areas. So, two things. Yeah. I think a lot of American companies who were not working as much in Europe thought that it might be a little easier and a little more breathing room. And now there's no longer that particular you know, opportunity or advantage. <laughs> That's right. It remains to, yeah. that. Yes, it remains to be seen if there's going to be a federal privacy law. I know there's many debates about that. So, <laughs> so I'm not really sure. <laughs> Obviously, that dangerous business predicting exactly what, what Congress will do. But there's certainly some push for federal privacy legislation in the United States so that it's not so either state-based or sectoral-based, you know, industry-based as it is right now. That's clear. But I will also say that I can never leave a discussion of themes without talking about third parties because that's always been a big theme forever. As you know, you know, handling third parties is just a huge part of compliance, a huge part of risk. Breaches are caused by third parties. Third parties are usually the ones who are giving the bribes to the foreign officials. So, you know, due diligence, continuous monitoring of the third parties are definitely huge themes that we always have to address, I think. Absolutely. And you mentioned earlier a little bit about how your team has several women in senior positions and others, and both from your law firm world and to the news and even to today, you know, what do you think about, you know, for women in compliance or you know, generally either starting in the careers, which I always think is interesting, or for you, the things that are, you know, sort of resonate or are really important in your thought process? Well, I think, you know, I love that there are so many women in senior compliance positions. Um, I think it's great. I think, you know, law firms still have a lot of work to do in terms of the amount of female equity partners they have. So we have a long way to go in that. And obviously in, in running companies as well, I think it's still only 5%, uh, Fortune 500, I think, are women led. So, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done in terms of bringing women into senior positions and not, you know, falling off the glass cliff, as you might have heard, where they're brought in to run troubled companies sometimes, which can be frustrating. I think sometimes as a woman, it can be hard to project authority without being called bossy or shrill or brusque. And I don't think I was alone in having to figure out, you know, what the best tone for me to take and taking a deposition was, which can be more complicated for a female litigator sometimes, I think, than for a male litigator. So that was certainly a challenge I had. You know, I think sometimes women are thought of as bringing people together, you know, cooperating and maternal and nurturing. I think that's really good and it's often true and useful. But I think sometimes it can be a little stereotypical and can hamper women, you know, it makes it harder for them to get angry and be aggressive and, and have that be okay. So I think that's something that women are always struggling with. I actually had a stay-at-home husband for many years. So I sort of faced this different kind of gender norm that I, I was sort of flipping the gender norms a little bit. And I don't think it's always so easy to change people's view of what mothers and, you know, and fathers should be doing. So I certainly hope that that will change and that we have different kinds of expectations for what mothers and fathers should do, perhaps the same expectations instead of the heavier ones on the mother. And so some of that is subtle, but very deeply ingrained that I found as sort of the breadwinning mother from early on in my career. Yeah, I always have found it interesting. And you see occasionally where they talk about where there's someone out there, either in social media or talking about like the dad taking care of the kids or spending time as if that is somehow unusual or different than a mother. Like that's more being a caretaker. They're both parents, <laughs> you know, and I think that that may be something that becomes a challenge at times. Yeah. Yeah, that may be less, probably less now than it was, you know, 10 years ago. but. Yeah, I'll say like the mothers would tell me how great my husband was because he'd always be, especially when the twins were little, you know, in a stroller with the twins all the time, picking them up everywhere and cooking and cleaning. And I would say, but you guys do that. <laughs> like, why is it, you know, no one's thanking you. No one thinks it's so great, you know, that you're doing that. So uh, not that he was not great. He's, he's fantastic. But I think, you know, people were surprised and he got a lot of accolades for that, which, and he is fantastic, but, you know, it should be a little more, a lot of moms do that all the time. So I think that's a really important thing to recognize. And also that for a mom, 
working like that with a stay-at-home dad, I think there was a lot of sort of societal imposed guilt that I had to sort of push away and remember that, you know, my own father worked a lot and we're incredibly close. So, you know, I don't think it's necessarily detrimental to the children to have the mother work. I would hope that I was a good role model for them, you know, in that way. So hopefully. It is, it is interesting. I mean, there are so many different parts of that dynamic. That's a whole conversation or else, you know, one doesn't have children, people are wondering why sometimes you need to leave the office. So there are lots of different parts of work-life balance that I think are always quite interesting. Yeah, definitely. Um, in law firms yeah. and also in others. But you know, yeah. it sounds like it has helped really you know, bring you to where you are right now as well. And I mean, what would you, you know, sort of say to some of the women who are starting out in the, either in the way you, know, you were or others or what you would like to see in the next few years? Yeah, I mean, I think for compliance, like this is a really great time for compliance. I mean, it's become a profession on its own and it's such a great community, which you and Mary have done so much for, um, really, I think so. And I think that's it's such a great time to be in this profession. You can sort of make your own stamp on it. You can definitely learn from others, obviously, but you can be innovative and there's so many ways to think out of the box. You don't have to be a lawyer if that's not what you want to be. I think there's more room now for non-lawyers to do that. I think that this is just a really unique time, I think, to be in compliance. And of course, as I said before, like to be a woman is definitely better now than it was. I think next week is um, equal pay day, right? Which meant 92 days in the year before women, you know, for women to get and men have been a jump on women to get to equal pay. So hopefully we'll start rolling, you know, we'll roll, roll that back and sort of outdated notions about women and what they can do. And I will say one quick anecdote, because just the other day, a friend of ours who works at a law, she's a lawyer at a law firm in a small firm in the South. And she got a memo from her senior partner to say that women should be wearing heels to court and no more ballet flats. And I remember thinking, I thought we came so far. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> have to wear heels to court? So there's still some way to go. Like, I don't know how, how men would feel about <laughs> running downtown on the subway to court like I had to do it in heels I'm not sure but there's still a way a way to go but obviously right or as I think it wasn't a ginger Rogers she said I had to do the same thing but I had to do it in heels and backwards Yes. Yeah. So hopefully we won't have to do it in heels. I think the more we see women, you know, at places speaking at Atmosphere on podcasts like yours doing this, I think the more comfortable we get with women in these kinds of positions. So I think, you know, we see women running for president. I think that also helps, you know, we see them in positions of authority and get used to it. I'm really optimistic, I think, in that way as well. No, and I think it's great. And it's really been, I mean, I know it's maybe on some of these podcasts, I sound a little like a broken record, but Mary and I started doing this and we have been like, this community is more amazing than we even realized when we started this. We knew this was out there, but it turned out to be like, it's like people like you and others, like, I don't think a lot of us knew how lucky we were. And I feel lucky every day in a very different way because there is such a supportive women's community. I know there are different stereotypes and different things, but at the end of the day, women and the men in this community try to be, you know, really helpful to one another. And I think, I think we all feel lucky that it's out there. Yeah. I mean, it's so yeah. great just to learn from everyone else and what they've done. And we try to write about that in the publications, but just to have this community to support you is just really invaluable in this profession. So if anyone wants to join this profession, it's a really good one for that reason. I think um, that other professions, I think don't have the same. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if there are any other things you wanted to mention before we close up, but I really appreciate you know, your time, the time that we've spent at Atmosphere, that, you know, that I've gotten to know you. And I, you know, on behalf of everybody, thank you so much. And thanks from the Compliance Podcast Network. Yeah, that's it. I really appreciate being on it. And um, like I said, meeting you is great. And thank you so much for having this podcast. And you know, I'm inspired by the women that you interview. So I'm looking forward to many more episodes to listen to on uh, my commute. Well, thank you. And thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. 
We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.